0: I desperately want us to open to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, We're not going to do that this Sunday. We've been going through Hebrews, and and boy, I've taken, I don't even know, I've not calculated. It's been about a four-month break from Hebrews. Um, But perhaps first Sunday of the year, maybe we'll get back into Hebrews chapter 11 and talk about faith and just go verse by verse through the Scriptures. But I feel still in this transition time, I want to take an opportunity to hit some things topically with us. We've been in a, a sermon series recently entitled Growing Up. And it's been a a good series for us, been a a needed series for us. We just think about growing up. Uh, Three weeks ago, I addressed the fact that we're growing up in a facility, and uh, here we are, and uh, God has given us this wonderful place with blessings and with some dangers associated with it as well. Three weeks ago, I addressed you from uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and really called us to be spiritual people who would... Seek great things from God, all for the glory of God. And uh, we just need to keep that on our minds as we are here in this place. Uh, we're also growing up in leadership. I spoke about that two weeks ago. As God has uh, given us several men, uh, potentially a fill position of leadership, two elders and a, a deacon that we hope to install uh, at some point here in the, in the near future as we process through with you as a congregation. Also, last week I talked about how we are growing up um, into a legacy. Um, really, uh, as we moved last week and our first week in this facility, I, I challenged all of you, those of you here remember, but from Revelation 2 and 3 to look towards the future. I mean, Those churches that are in Revelation 2 and 3 are the first generation church kind of right at the end. And uh, we are doing something bigger than ourselves and may God uh, have a work that lasts year long beyond us and just press you to really think about what what kind of thing we will leave, what kind of church we will leave when all of us are gone. Because at some point, all of us will be gone. Well, this week I want to continue our series. It's appropriate here this Sunday before Christmas to focus our attention upon Christ and how it is that we are growing up in Him. Now, throughout this series, I've been using a metaphor of growth. Um, And as you've thought about that metaphor, you've probably been thinking um, like a boy growing up to be a man. Uh, Or a a girl growing up to be a a woman, or or maybe a a tree uh, growing up. All those metaphors are are good. Uh, I think um, it's right, it's in my mind as well, as we walk into a building, that's kind of a step of maturity, like a child going to college. And uh, so we have more leadership uh, confirmed in the church, like another step, like a a child getting married then. Um, It's quite appropriate for us to think about that, but... Today, I want us to think, rather than just a concrete, immature, and then now we're mature, you know, a tree is a good illustration, but I want you to think of, um, of reptiles this morning. That's right, right? Snakes and lizards, um, reptiles, crocodiles, because the reality is that reptiles never stop growing. They just continue on getting bigger and bigger, and should a reptile live for a couple hundred years, you know what he'd look like? He look a lot like dinosaurs. Probably what he would look like. Yes, they are giant reptiles. And so when it comes to Christ and our growth in Him, really, we ought never to stop growing. We ought to just uh, keep continuing on to, to grow larger and larger and, and, and to see Christ as bigger and bigger in our minds. Because when it comes to Christ, we ought never to think that we have arrived. Because we always need to grow up in Him. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, that I may know Him, which is prayer. It's not that Paul wasn't a believer. It's not that Paul didn't know him. It's not that Paul wasn't even mature. He was mature. But, but he said, I want to press on towards the goal, the upward call on Christ. Philippians 3.14 and, and pursuing it and pressing on. And, and David Pryor says it this way. He says, we never move beyond the Gospel only into a more profound understanding of it. We never move beyond the Gospel only into a more profound understanding of it. And as we think about Christ and knowing Him and understanding Him and loving Him and obeying Him, that, that's really the core of what it is and the core of what we are as a church at Rock Valley Bible Church. We will never get beyond the gospel. We will never get beyond sins forgiven and grace granted and Glories in heaven. And all the blessings that come. We will never get beyond that. But we need to go deeper in that. We need to grow in that. We're always going to seek to grow in a greater understanding of that, both individually and corporately as well. We can never say, oh, I've been there, done that. We've been saved by the Gospel. Let's put that behind. Let's get on to other things. No, uh, the Gospel is for us to believe and to embrace and then to grow in and to mature in because we grow in our Christian life, we'll come to realize that in a greater and greater way the the cross of Christ just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. I want you to think about driving to the mountains. Probably you've had this experience before. You're you're driving along the freeway and you look up there, oh, there are the mountains. And you look at them and say, wow, those things are big. And then as you drive 55 miles an hour for another half hour and the mountains are still out there, you're saying, wow, those are really big. And as you drive for another 30 minutes at 55 miles an hour, the, the mountain's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're just, you see, and then if you have a chance to get out the mountains and you start walking up, you say, wow, this is a pretty big mountain. And then by the time you get up to the top of the first peak, what do you see? You see even more mountain beyond that. And you are amazed. And, and so it is with the cross of Christ. When you're, you're first saved, the cross seems big. But the closer you walk with Jesus, the closer you come to the cross. And the closer you come to the cross, you know what happens? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because the more you see your sin and the more you see the glory of Jesus. You know, it's a lot like Lucy when she encountered Aslan and uh, hadn't seen Aslan for a while. And Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan said, Welcome, child. And Lucy said, Aslan, you are bigger. And then Aslan said... um, that's because you're older, little one. And Lucius says, um, not because you are. And then Anselm said, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And so it is with the cross of Christ. So it is with our growth in Christ. We ought to be growing up in Christ. And as we grow up, Christ ought to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this Christmas season, I thought in terms of a growing up metaphor, I just picked this adoration that we are growing up in adoration. I'm just adoring Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the word used in the Christmas season, right? As we reflect upon Christmas, the time to reflect upon the birth of Christ. And, and our attention is often drawn on the worship of Jesus, right? The, the adoring of Jesus. Um, I thought even this week of preaching from the different perspectives in, in, in Luke about Mary, just pondering these things in her heart. And as she pondered them and thought about them, just the, the magnitude of what was taking place are getting bigger and bigger. Or the shepherds, right, who came to see the baby in the manger and they laughed in awe. Or the magi who came and worshipped. Or Simeon and Anna who, who saw the redemption of Israel begin. I mean, it's all towards worship. And so this morning, as we think about the growing up metaphor, we think about Christmas, I just want to say this. Let's grow up in our adoration of Christ. Let's grow up in a greater way to see Christ and adore Him and to magnify Him and to worship Him. Well, if you haven't done so already, I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, I hope you do, and open to the book of John. I had hoped to preach all of John 1, 1 through 1-18, um, but actually this morning we're just going to really look at the first four verses and how they relate to verse 14. I was comforted, I listened to a portion of a message from Kent Hughes this week at College Church. And uh, he preached John 1, 1 through 18, and he said he had 35 minutes to preach. And he said there are really three sermons here, so you're actually going to get three sermons in one. And I thought, you know what? That's good. That was kind of towards the end of my preparation, and I said, well, that's good because I only got one third of this text handled, but we'll we'll do that. Our focus is going to be on 1 through 4, but I want to read the whole thing, John 1, 1 through 18. It is the prologue to the Gospel of John. It is uh, one of the greatest portions of literature, I think, as it sets up everything in John. So we read this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but He came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own. And those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me has a higher rank than I. For He existed before Me. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This text tells the Christmas story. perhaps a bit different than what we're used to. We're used to thinking about the Christmas story about the angel visiting Mary and the angel visiting Joseph and then the difficult trip from Nazareth down to Bethlehem and then baby Jesus there in the manger and the shepherds coming and the magi coming and all around the star. That's what we think of when we think of the Christmas story. But this is the Christmas story from another point of view. Rather than from earth, it's really from from heaven itself. We begin in verse 1 with God. Also with the Word, who is identified in verse 14 as Jesus. Because we see the climax comes in verse 14 about this Word, who is Christ, clearly, became flesh. That's what Christmas is about. It's about God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So this morning, I want us to really think about that reality as we think about Growing up in Christ. Well, my first point comes from verse 1. I'm going to take four points, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, all of a point, and I'm going to relate them to verse 14. It's kind of my aim, my message this morning. And here we have verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have right here one of the clearest statements in all the Bible of the deity of Jesus Christ. John tells us that Jesus was in the beginning. I mean, there's an illusion right there that Jesus never began to exist. Rather, Jesus was always there. Jesus was eternal. And that statement alone even hints at His divinity. But then we read here that it says, and the Word was God. As clear as can be, Jesus is God. And He's the one, verse 14 says, "It comes and dwelt among us. Now there's some who seek to manipulate the Greek text here. They say that Jesus is not God. Can you think of someone who does that? The with Witnesses do that. And uh, if you ever have a conversation with them, they will point out correctly, by the way, that there is no uh, article before God. It doesn't say tontheon. It doesn't say hatheos. It doesn't say the God. It just says God. Like a God. And then they would translate it a God rather than the God and try to lead you to believe that the, what it says here in verse 1 is that the word was a small g God. Maybe an angel, maybe a divine being, uh, but such is not the case. True, it doesn't have an article, but it's not the case that that means that Jesus is a small g God. Um, I, in fact, I remember when I started learning Greek, I went to a secular college, had an unbelieving philosophy professor who had learned some Greek, and so he's the one that taught the Greek class. And uh, an easy way to learn Greek is to learn Koine Greek, the common Greek, as is the Gospel of John. And so we start in the secular university. Studying through the Gospel of John, first day after we learned our letters was John 1:1. He just explained this verse. Not, not a believer at all, but he just right out kind of just talked about how what John is claiming. He was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so here's this Word who is God, and and just put it forth that Jesus is God. He had no agenda. He didn't believe it at all. It's not like he believed that Jesus was God, but he just put it forth plain as could be. There's no doubt in my professor's mind what John was saying. No doubt in my mind, and surely no doubt in John's mind as well, because John believed Jesus was God. You think through all the, the Gospel of John, and there's some things that Jesus does that only God could do. You can't feed 5,000 people if you're not God. You can't walk on water if you're not God. You can't give sight to the blind if you're not God. You can't raise a man from the dead like Lazarus unless you're God. And even then, at the culmination of the Gospel of John, we see John chapter 20, this interchange between Thomas and Jesus. And uh, Jesus had raised from the dead. The disciples had seen Him, but Thomas didn't. And Thomas, of course, was the doubter. He said, unless I see His hand and the imprint of His nails and put My finger into the place of His nails and put My hand into His side, I will not believe. And then when Jesus came and confronted Him, He did those very things. He saw the holes, the imprint of the nails. He put His finger there. He put His hand in there. And do you remember what He said, Anyone got it? Remember what he said? He said, my Lord and my God. And, and that's the, the culmination. That's the way of John saying, Thomas got it right by saying, Jesus is our Lord and our God. You know how the Jehovah's Witnesses explain that verse. Thomas was cursing. Oh my Lord, my God! It's like, no, it's not like that. No, he said, My Lord, my God, you Jesus are my God. That's what it's about. And the reality of Christmas is that Jesus became flesh. And the more you think about it, the more you'll be amazed, the more you'll be drawn to worship and adoration. I want you to think about the reality of what it meant that, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, I'll, I'll go through this quote. Sam Storms said it this way. The Word became flesh. God Became human. The invisible became visible. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The immutable became mutable. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The loved became the hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity. From inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief. From a throne to a cross. From a ruler to being ruled. From power to weakness. Now that's a list of maybe 20 things. What took place the Incarnation? And I think each of those, you can just dwell upon. I mean, what does it mean that the invisible became visible? Like, what, what does that mean? That, that, that God all of a sudden, who is Spirit, John 4, puts on flesh. What, what, is, what does that mean for God to become visible in that sense? What does it mean for the Almighty, the One who created the, the, the world with the Word, to become weak? And become feeble and frail and susceptible to death. What does it mean? What does it wasn't mean for eternity to enter time. Because God's name is the I am. He's forever. He was before time. How's it? How does He enter time? I mean, all these things, we start thinking about God becoming flesh will, will blow your mind. And what I want you to do is just think about that. Try to marvel at it this Sunday before Christmas and turn that then into adoration and praise. And I say this, to the extent that we understand, to the extent that we grow in our understanding, our adoration of God must grow as well. And that's the heart of my message this morning. Jesus is God. Verse 2. Jesus was with God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. It's a repetition of verse 1. You can find all of these elements there in verse 1. He was in the beginning. That's what it says in verse one one, In the beginning was the Word. And He was with God. It says the Word was with God. Why do you repeat things? You repeat things for emphasis. You repeat things for clarity. So, I want to emphasize this. I want to make it clear. Jesus was with God. Well, this helps us to understand a little bit of the nature of God. In the beginning, it wasn't merely God alone, one. Yes, yes, it was. But rather what we see in the beginning is that there's another person with God. It's Jesus. Now we're entering mysterious lands here, okay? This is Trinity. God is a unity, but God is a Trinity. It's God in three persons, is how the historic church has always said it. So, what here we have is we have the Word with God. We have, have them with each other. And the scene you get in the Greek text is they are theon. They are face to face. They are facing towards each other. It's kind of the, the sense of the idea here. And they have a, a glory. John 17, verse 5, when Jesus is praying the high Priestly prayer, He says, Father, I pray... Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus on earth knew full well that he had a glory with God before he came to earth. And it was this face-to-face, close communion that the Father and the Son had together with one another. Now the Spirit's there someplace, I'm not sure. Maybe they're all looking at each other. I'm not exactly sure. Sure. But that's how this text calls us to think about it. And the contrast, by the way, comes in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word which was in heaven with with ness now one of the members of the Trinity leaves and is temporarily separated from the person in heaven. Still one God, Two people, two persons of Godhead. See, it's not that there are two gods, one on earth and one in heaven. It's not, it's not it, alright? Uh, church, spell that out, as heresy. That's not right. We don't, we don't believe in three gods. And, and it's not that the God the Father morphed into God the Son. That's called modalism. That's error as well. It's that one God... Two persons in two places. All right, who understands what's going on here? I don't. All right? Let's just say I don't, I don't have a clue of this. But I know. here's what I do know, though. I do know that the more we think about this, the more we marvel at the being of God, the more we can grow in our adoration of Him. That's what I just want to press us on as a church body, to grow in our adoration and worship of God. I remember, in fact, one time I was, uh, I was talking with a Jehovah Witness. And uh, we're talking about the nature of God. And I said, well, the Bible speaks that there's one God. Absolutely, Deuteronomy 6 says that. There's one God. And um, the Bible says that there are three persons in the Godhead. that there, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and God the Father is God. And I said, I, I don't understand that. And I remember this woman said, you don't understand God? Like, like, she's got it. She's got it all figured out. I said, you know what? I don't understand it. But to her, she saw that as something which was really bad for me because I didn't understand God. I think it's bad for her. She thinks she's got God in a box because God is so much greater and He calls us to contemplate and think about and to worship Him in adoration. And for those brief decades that Jesus was upon the earth, He dwelt with us rather than dwelling with the Father and we were able to see His glory. Look what it says. And we saw His glory. Verse 14. Glorious, the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus had glory in heaven. He comes to earth and still has His glory. We get to see it. Well, isn't there something special about uh, meeting someone who's famous? Maybe you've met some famous people and say, hey, that was a pretty special thing. Uh, from time to time, I read in the newspaper or on the internet or something, read about some child who is sick with terminal illness and the Make-A-Wish Foundation then connects this child with this child's hero. Maybe it's a sports athlete, um, professional athlete, maybe it's some actor, actress, maybe some politician, something like that. And um, what happens is this athlete comes and and spends a day with this child and makes the child's day. Make-A-Wish Foundation does a great job. It really makes the child's life in many ways. Because the one thing in the world the child wants to meet their hero and Make-A-Wish Foundation makes it happen. I think it's a, it's a great thing. Here we see verse 14, in some ways, a Make-A-Wish come true for all of us. We've been visited by God. God has come to be with us, to dwell among us. And this whole dwelling idea, it's, it's that he, he, was, he was really with us. He tented, if you will, People saw Him. People touched Him. People heard Him. In fact, that was John's burden. If you read the very first part of his first epistle, First 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, he's all about that Jesus, when He came, was substance. You could touch Him. Listen to what he says. 1 John 1, 1 through 3 What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and what we have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. In other words, He's saying that we've seen it, we've heard Him, we've touched Him, we've experienced Him, and that's what we're proclaiming to you. Because when Jesus left the Father above, He left to be with us in a very real way. That's what Christmas is about. The word often comes as Emmanuel. It comes from three Hebrew words. You just connect together. Hebrew does this oftentimes, like suffixes. You put them together. Im means with. Anu means us. And El means God. Im with us God. Emmanuel, that's what it means. You kind of put all those words together. Anyone who speaks Hebrew knows that. And to the extent that we grasp what it means that God is is with us, may we grow in our adoration to Christ. Well, third point from third verse... Jesus, not only God, not only with God, Jesus is a creator. Verse 3. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now again, in this verse, we see a repetition of thoughts. The first part of the verse says the same thing that the second part of the verse says. In, in, In this case, the first part of the verse says it in a positive way. The second part puts it in a negative way, and the repetition is more of a clarifying Influence here. The positive, all things came into being through Him. The negative, apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Kind of a little confusing maybe, but it it basically says this, Jesus wasn't created. It says Jesus was the Creator. I mean, this verse basically separates things into two categories. You've got the created category here, and then you've got the uncreated category here. And again, Jehovah's Witness is coming up because heresies have a way to um, crystallize the truth. If you're talking with a Jehovah's Witness, the best thing to do is come right here to verse 3. Draw a line in the sand. and say, Okay, these are created things and these are uncreated things. Which side does Jesus fall on? Because it says there, apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. So, everything in the world is here, And that all came into being through Jesus. Jesus has to be over here. He's the Creator. He's not the created. He falls on that side. Or perhaps if you want to get more technical, you might say it like this. Is that Jesus was the agent of creation. That all things were created by Him or through Him. In fact, look at how verse 10 says it. He was in the world and the world was made, there it is, through Him. That's how you see it. In fact, that's exactly how the New Testament puts it in other places. That Jesus is the agent of creation. Colossians 1.16 By Him, all things were created. In the heavens, on earth, visible, invisible, or thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. They've been created by Him and through Him. Jesus is the agent of creation. Or Hebrews 1.2 In these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son... Whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. The world was made through Jesus. He's the agent of creation. And so, let's, let's think back. Genesis 1.1. The very first verse of the Bible says this, right? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. You might ask, well, how did He do it? Well, it says that God created. And you get a sense that it is God the Father. But how did He do it? He did it through the agency of His Son. It was the Father creating. It was the Son probably more doing the work. <clears throat> kind of how it all, all came together. But both the Father and Son were engaged in that process. Okay, so now I want to take all these verses, 1, 2, 3, 4, and bring it to verse 14. How does this relate to verse 14? Pretty simple. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Keyword there, became. He wasn't before... But now He has. He wasn't part of creation before, but now He is part of creation. He's come to join in the creation. The very creation that He already made with His own hands. And and this is Christmas. It's a time of the year where we in the church calendar historically set apart to, to really focus our attention upon what the incarnation means. That's what it means, is that He stepped into His creation. It's interesting, in the early church, the heresy was going around very early, A.D. 90 was called something called docetism. It comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or appear. And, and, and they argued that Jesus really just appeared to be a man. He just seemed to be a man. He just had the appearance of a man. Maybe He was like a shadow of a man, but He really wasn't a man. See, this is because in the early church, they embraced the deity of Jesus, but had a difficult time with the humanity. Where we, in our age, we embrace this humanity, we have a difficult time with the deity but the Docetists embrace this more on the, the deity side and kind of reject his humanity side. And that's why John says in 1 John 4, 2, combating this heresy, he says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He, he's, he's saying, yeah, he you give these spirits to say Jesus is God, but you've got to argue, you've got you to catch that he's from the flesh. If he argues from the flesh, that's why you know that's the Spirit of God the Creator taking part of His creation. He's got a substance with it. He came into creation like any of us came into creation. J.C. Ryle says it this way. I, I love this. He's just kind of putting flesh and bones to it. He says this, Jesus really became a man like ourselves in all things, sin only accepted. Like ourselves, He was born of a woman, though born in a miraculous manner. And like ourselves, he grew from infancy to boyhood, and from boyhood to man's state, both in wisdom and stature. Like ourselves, he hungered, he thirsted, he ate, he drank, he slept, was wearied, felt pain, wept, rejoiced, marveled, and was moved to anger and to compassion. Having become flesh and taken on a body, he prayed, read the Scriptures, suffered being tempted, and submitted his human will to the will of God the Father. And finally, in the same body, he really suffered and shed his blood. He really died, was really buried, really rose again, and really ascended up into heaven. He was born like we were born. He lived and breathed like we live and breathe. He died like we died. Now, circumstances of his life are certainly different than ours, but every bit he had flesh and bone and blood like we have. The creator stepped into the created, as it verse 14 says. You know, it, it's a bit like SR, and uh, it's my son, 15 year old son, and uh, some of you know this. Um, he's into um, animation. How many of you have seen some of his movies? I know a lot of you have. Okay, good. It just kind of happens that way. Um, but he's into stop action Lego movies, all right? And some of you see that, right? you know what that's about where you take a picture and then you move the Lego guy just a little bit, and then you take another picture and then move the Lego guy a little bit, and you take a picture and you move the Lego guy a little bit, right? In fact, yesterday was a big day. for the. There's this whole world. What is it Bricks in Motion and what's the other one? Yeah, there was, what's the other one? Bricksinmotion.com and, you know, there there's several websites just devoted to this stuff. Anyway, yesterday there was this contest. It was the THAC contest. Fact, all right? 24-hour animation challenge is that they basically posted something at six o'clock, six o'clock in the morning yesterday. And what what, is, what was the what was the sphere? What did it say? Head requirements. Help me, yes sir. Okay, two requirements. I know he's just shy. Two requirements. Every stop-action scene needs to have green touching red. Just to prove that you made it for this, all right? Green touching red, and or have the letter M, is that right? Okay, so something like that. Every scene needs to have one of those two things going on. You got 24 hours to make your film. Post at six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> go at it, and then uh, you know wrap around by six o'clock. It needs to be done, uploaded. It's going to be a big contest of everything. And you know, even I was, I was out there this morning trying to find the video, but it's kind of hidden, and I, I'm not seeing it. But but one guy said, yeah, I've been up 24 hours straight, finally I can go to bed. <laughs> this is a big world out there, but you guys know nothing about this world, do you? Anyway, I don't know very much about it, but I know SR is like this. Okay, God becoming Flash is a little bit like SR becoming a Lego guy. Right? This whole world that has there, and that he makes and creates and moves and takes, it's like SR the Lego guy. That's a little bit like what it's like. It, and real, real plastic. <laughs> that's what I mean. And real legs that just bend like this, right? Because that's what Jesus did. He came into real flesh and real blood. Because God doesn't have those things, He's a spirit. But He's taken on those things. And the Apostle Paul said like this that Jesus emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the Creator, comes into creation. And what it helps us with is that God is not some far off God, way out there in the distance. No. God has entered His own creation, has visited us. And I say, let's adore Him for that. Let's increase our worship. Let's increase our wonders. We marvel and think about those things. Alright, last point this morning. Jesus is God, He's with God, He's a Creator. Verse 4, I'm just taking this from the first half of the verse. Jesus' is life is a great place, last final point for us even to consider this morning. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, in many ways, this is the hope of the Christmas season, is that Jesus is life. You know, my hope and prayer as a pastor of Rock Kelly Bible Church, we would see this ever increasing more and more in our lives, is that, that Jesus is our hope of life. And that's how we can increase. That's how we can grow in Jesus. It's to realize our hope isn't in ourselves. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. Because He's the one who is life, and He's the one who has brought us life. In fact, you can argue in many ways, this is the message of the Gospel of John. I counted up, 47 times life is mentioned in the Gospel of John. And life comes through Jesus. So, think about just a few times. Just think through the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Jesus says, whoever believes will have eternal life. There's a the call to believe. If you believe, you'll have life. Or we're talking to the woman at the well. You remember Jesus came there and the woman was there at the well and he had a discussion about water and Jesus made this comment about the water. He says, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus is life. He's the one that can give life. He can give this life where you never thirst again. Or when talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said, John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. And these kind of statements are all over the Gospel of John. When speaking to the crowds, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And he showed that by feeding the 5,000 and just said, you want life? I mean, this bread is sustaining you but you want the real bread of life? That is me. That is me. You eat from Me and you will hunger no more, thirst no more. Shortly after raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said to Martha, I'm the resurrection of life. He who believes in Me will live even if He dies. There's life in Jesus. And that's just a few. We could quote many, many, many verses talking about the Gospel of John, how Jesus is the one that brings life. But a big clue of this comes at the end of the book when John tells us why it's written. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, This is why I've written. Listen to what he says. He says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And there's the aim. I'm presenting these. I could have written a bunch of things, but I'm presenting these so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ. You might know He's the Son of God. But that's not it. It's just not knowing that or believing that. It's getting to the end of that. And that by knowing and believing, you might have life in His name. There's an end goal in John's writing here is that people get life through Jesus because life does come through Jesus. As many kids know, if they want to, programs, anything? John 3.16, right? Can we say it together? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There it is. The whole crux is that that you believe in Christ, you won't perish, but you'll live. And that's the point here, verse 4. And I just say that we at Rock Valley Bible Church, we can really grow in that. We can grow in seeing that, that Jesus really is our life rather than, rather than just, well, we're living and we're doing okay and we're self-sufficient. No, our tendency is towards self-sufficiency. but We need to go back and say, no, Jesus is our life. He's the one that bought me. He's the one that forgave my sins. And keep coming back there and then grow in adoration and worship when you realize that He's your only hope of life. Jesus came to give life because He is life. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Well, I close this morning with a famous story uh, about a fictitious, a fictitious story, but a nice little story. Um, often told at Christmas, a man who learned about Christmas from the birds. And maybe you've heard it before. I've not heard it before until this week, but it's all over the internet, so I figure lots of people have heard this. But it's a great story. It says There once was a man who looked upon Christmas a lot of humbug. Now, he wasn't a Scrooge, he was a kind and gentle person generous to his family upright in all of his dealings with other men he didn't believe all that stuff about the incarnation which churches proclaimed at christmas and he was too honest to declare that he did i'm truly sorry to distress you he told his wife who was a faithful churchgoer but i simply cannot understand the claim that god became man it doesn't make any sense to me so on christmas eve his wife and children went to the church for midnight service and he denied declined to accompany them. He said, I'd feel like a hypocrite, he explained. I'd much rather stay at home, but I'll be waiting up for you. Shortly after, the family drove away in the car. Snow began to fall and he went to the window and watched the flurries getting heavier and heavier. If we must have Christmas, he thought it's nice to have a white one and went went back to his chair by the fireside and began to read his newspaper. A few minutes later, he started hearing a thudding sound. It was quickly followed by another and then Another. He thought that someone must be throwing snowballs at his living room window. And so he went around the front door to investigate. He found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through the window repeatedly. I can't let these poor creatures lie there and freeze, he thought. How can I help them? And then he remembered the barn where the children's pony was stabled and it would provide a warm shelter. And so he put on his coat his galoshes and stamped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on the light, but the birds didn't come in. Food will bring them in, he thought. So he hurried back to the house for some breadcrumbs that he sprinkled in the snow to make a trail for them, but to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them, but that didn't work either. He tried shooing them in the barn by walking around and waving his arms and they scattered in every direction, every direction except for the warm lighted barn. They find me a strange and terrifying creature, he said to himself. I can't seem to get them in any way to know that they can trust me. If only I could become a bird myself for a few minutes, perhaps I could lead them to safety. Just that moment the church bells began to ring. He stood silently for a while listening to the bells peeling the glad tidings of Christmas and then he sank to his knees in the snow. Now I understand. He whispered, now I see why he had to do it. Why did Jesus have to come in the flesh? To give life. And life comes when you believe. Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in the Son. Let's ask you, do you believe? Over the years, Christmas has had some kind of increased emphasis upon gifts, I think. And we can easily think that Christmas is all about giving. Gifts are given. We think, "Hey, Christmas, what's it about? It's about giving?" And there's a measure of reality, to that, but you know what? Bottom line, Christmas is not about giving. Christmas is about receiving, right? It's about receiving the life, it's about receiving Christ. It's about receiving the gift of life that comes through Jesus, and He's the one that gives us life. In fact, that's even talked about here in verse twelve. But as many as received Him, receiving the gift that God brings to them, He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. And there it is, the implication you're a child of God, you'll live forever. You'll be with Him forever. And I can't think of anything better for each one of you than to be consumed by the One who gives life. And I can't think of anything better for us as a church to be consumed by the One who gives us all life as well. So as we think about this Christmas time, as we think about growing up as a church, let's just grow up to see... Christ just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger bigger in our lives. And then come to worship Him and adore Him in a greater way than ever before. Oh Lord, indeed, this morning we do worship You. And I would pray that You would help us as a church just to know You more, to increase in our love for You, to give us a greater passion for You, to give us a greater... Worship of you, a greater, if you will, adoration of you. that we would see you for everything that you are, because our worship is all that we are, responding to all that you are. And the more we know of what you are and what you are like, the more our worship can increase in adoration, intensity. We thank you that you are our God. And Jesus, that you are with God and that you came to be with us, to take on flesh, to become flesh, to be with us. And we pray especially, O Lord, that we would see that in You is life that there's no other hope we have other than You. So help us this morning to, to grow in those things. We love You and trust You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.